0: It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Matt. I get to be one of the pastors here. And um, we are winding up the, the basics of belief here. We're actually going to look at our memory verse, our theme verse this morning, um, and gearing up for next week's testimony story. Um, if you are a guest, I'm, I'm honored that you're here, and I hope you feel very welcome. There, there is a, a set of guests here that I do want to draw a little attention to because their testimony has impacted my testimony, which has then impacted you some. Uh, We have some some stellar Special Olympic athletes in the house today. Sarah and Emily Lane are here. And their parents, Karen and Danny, are here as, as well. And these are folks who I have told you about. Uh, so I'm super honored that you're here. Thanks for worshiping with us. I believe it is, in, and I could get this wrong because you all know me, but in 2004, uh, Danny and Karen started a, a team for, for Louisville. They're called the Louisville Flyers. And uh, kind of like everything else, by the time I met them, it was a big team. I thought it had existed for the for all time and, and had tons of athletes and tons of teams and all this, but it began with a family, and it began with a, a vision of, of serving and respecting and giving dignity to young men and women who are Special Olympic athletes, and this team has become another family for, for Nikki and I and our kids. They, the Flyers, that's, that's Anna's crew. That's who she rolls with. And uh, whether it be basketball or track, those are her people. And uh, I've talked to you over the past few months, or particularly in this series, about how I've experienced just peace and joy and something that was completely other being a part of the Flyers and just being a dad watching my little girl have a place where she truly belongs. And so thanks for being here. Um, We actually... uh, Danny and I have become friends, and I told Danny that we would love to be a church where any Louisville Flyer can come be a part of, and also where we would just be a part of what's going on. And so we're going to start letting you know about when more events are. Uh, Anna had her last game on Wednesday, and several families from the church came out and cheered along. And we're going to start letting you know about more. Balaji's helping coach track there's track, there's football, there's basketball, there's bocce ball, there's tons of ways that we can get involved and love on these young men and women. Um, I would love, as a dad and as a pastor who loves both these communities, I'd love if these communities started to know each other. And uh, so talk to, to Danny after the service. He's got some really nice flyers done up where you can find out about ways to get involved, uh, whether you have an athlete or whether you want to help coach or whether... It'd be pretty sweet to have a massive cheering section at some of this stuff, too. And so maybe we just become like the flyer tailgaters. I don't know. We'll just see how this all rolls out, okay? But that's a testimony that has vastly impacted my family, and so thank you. Uh, Thanks for your faithfulness and making room for families like us. Uh, we're, We're blessed because of it. Well, we are in Revelation, which is... We're like half the church is scared, right? And we're not going to dive into Revelation too much because we, we don't have, like, it would take us all day. But we're in Revelation 12, and there's a little bit of context that we need to give. And then we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. Uh, if you look at Revelation 12 when you go home, you see some fascinating words and images. Now, this is John who has this revelation of God, has this vision of God. And in chapter 12, there's some stuff that we're not always used to hearing. He talks about a woman. We, we hear that word, woman. But then there's like, okay, who is the woman? And there's all this like wondering on, on the who is what and all of this kind of stuff. There's debate about who the woman is. I think it's pretty safe to say that the woman in chapter 12 is the the old testament people of god into being the church of god in the new testament and beyond there's the child and if you read uh revelation 12 the child is jesus who is born out of the woman born out of the old testament jewish people and what we call old testament and then there is there is the dragon which is quite the term right and and the, the dragon, it says later that the dragon is the devil, the accuser, the Satan, that the dragon is thrown down out of heaven and on the earth. And then we get to to these verses which we have been looking at. It, I think there's one above that. If we can look at Revelation twelve ten. Let me read it for you here. Says, then I and this is John talking, then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, "Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of the Messiah, for the accuser of our sisters and brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, but they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they do not cling to life even in the faith of death. Rejoice then, you heavens. And those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you with great wrath. Because he knows that his time is short. So let me summarize this a little bit. Go ahead and and on the screen was the NIV. I was reading the NRSV. Um, Let me summarize this a little bit. So the accuser, the Satan, the devil is thrown down out of heaven. Try to overtake everything couldn't, thrown down to heaven. And we hear this woe to the earth and the sea because the accuser's mad. He knows his time is short and, and he's angry. He's going to try to disrupt as much as he can down here on earth. But then there is this part in the middle that says, uh, that, that says our verse, for they have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, when I looked at that right away, I'm like, okay, who is they? Because I want to make sure that we are not looking at something we don't belong in. Do you know what I mean? And there are some who say that this is about martyrdom because at the end here, they did not love their lives so much as they did shrink from death. And so it is the martyrs, but it is also those who live just faithfully into what God has invited them into. That's who the they are. And it's interesting that he's writing about this future thing in the past tense. They have conquered. We know this. There's certainty here. It's past tense. Some of the things of God are are truths that bend time. Have you ever noticed this? Some of the truths of God are so true that they bend time. So future things are said in past tense because it's God already said so. That's done. It's not negotiable. That's just set in stone. And so it's it's future to us, but it is written in past tense because it's so certain. They have conquered. Now I want to be in, in that crew. I want to be in the crew that has conquered. I want to be in the crew that has triumphed. And so my mind goes to how do I do that? And it says right here, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. We're going to look at these two Things for a couple minutes together, okay? The blood of the lamb. So many of us who have been in the church think of Jesus as the lamb of God. That's, that's good. If, if your thought went to that, that's, that's good. If it didn't, that's fine. But if it did, that's a good thing. But we also go to this Old Testament time. A lot of us do. We go to the, uh, the day of atonement. How many of you kind of think of day of atonement stuff here? Yeah, there's quite a few of us who do. This is Leviticus 16. If you want to write down where Day of Atonement is, it's Leviticus 16. And what happens is the people of Israel, all they have sinned, they've broken the law. And on this one day a year, the high priest scrubs down, changes clothing, goes into the Holy of Holies, sacrifices a bull on behalf of the people, and then has two goats. And on, on one goat, they kill the goat. And on the other goat, the, the high priest will press his hand down, representing all the sins of all of the people, and almost like trying to represent pushing that into that goat. And then the goat is set free in the wilderness. And it's to signify, more than signify, but it's to signify that the sins of the people have left, that it's no longer on them. If you look at Day of Atonement stuff, it's beautiful imagery, and it's it's beautiful for us to pick up. Now, sometimes like words words really, really matter. And so when you think of this, I don't want you to think so much as like the bull and the goat are payment for for the sin and the offense, but they they signify forgiveness that this relationship's restored. The sin is pushed off into. The wilderness. It's a huge day for all of the people. Uh, actually, old Jewish rabbis would say that the accuser accuses 364 days a year. He takes your birthday off because everyone deserves a good birthday. No, that's not true. He takes the Day of Atonement off because your sins are washed away. So you cannot be accused on that day. Your sins are forgiven. The book of Hebrews picks up this imagery and and says that Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice, that forgiveness has been made, that everything that needed to be happened, happened. And so that that sin that you beat yourself up about, that way that you are the deflated basketball left with nothing, all of that is forgiven. Past tense. You can trust him with that. And I want you to get this that this day of atonement is real for us. Christ did that on the cross. We're going to celebrate this as we lead up to Easter. We need to know the power and the reality of this that, that you are atoned for everything you've ever done, I've ever done, past, present, future. Jesus is bigger than that offense. And you're forgiven. But what are the animals in the day of atonement? It's a bull and it's two goats. And here, we're told that we triumph over him by the blood of the lamb. That's not a bull or a goat. And so we find great hope in the Day of Atonement, and we need to always, but this is not talking about the Day of Atonement. Revelation 12 is not talking about Day of Atonement. There's another day that we know well that we need to look at. In Exodus 12, We read this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that the 10th of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it should join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in its proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Lamb should be Without blemish, a year-old male. Here in Exodus, we start to read of the Passover lamb. And that's what this is talking about in Revelation. The atonement matters. We need to know this. But this, this blood of the lamb is not the at- atonement for our sin. It is not the forgiveness of our sin. It's for something else. We go on in Exodus. and We read in verse 7 and 8 what the people of God are to do. It says, they, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And they should eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. What is happening here? We have to wipe blood on our doors. Like, what is going on? If you remember, this is when the Hebrew people are enslaved in Egypt. This is when they are the workforce for another nation. And God's delivering them. And there's been plague after plague to bring deliverance from the gods of Egypt and and declare that God is the one true God for his people. And finally, it comes to this really difficult chapter. This really difficult part where the firstborn... the the plague of the firstborn are killed. And we've got like, okay, we've got to wrestle with some of this stuff sometimes. But in this Passover, what it literally means is that this plague will pass over the households who have the blood of the lamb marking the household. And so they're to take this blood, put it on the doorpost, and they're to eat This lamb, And if it's a smaller family, then then share with somebody else. And there's this communal aspect to the whole thing. And then in verse 11 and 12, we read a little bit more about what this would feel like. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So here's what we're seeing. He's saying, go ahead and eat like a teenager here. Have your sneakers on, your basketball shorts, be ready to run, eat really quick. A lot of the meals in scripture are like the time of community, right? They're the time where you build relationships. And and we talk about like breaking bread together sometimes. And how, how so much is, is formed around the dinner table. And then here he's saying, but wait, have your staff in hand, have your sandals, have, have your robe up so you can run, eat quick so you can go. Because I'm setting you free. Well, amen. Amen. And that's what this is. The, the blood of the lamb amen. is about your freedom Come on, teach. and about my freedom. God deals with our sin. He does. Praise God for that. This atonement was made once and for all. You can have the security of knowing that your sins have been forgiven. Past tense. The same truth-bending time thing over your sin. But this is about your freedom. The accuser comes and night and day shouts at God's beloved. And they will... They have triumphed by the blood, not just the blood that forgave them, but by the blood that set them free. That's what we're seeing here. And to me, I'm like, oh, that's a whole different story. Because I'm a, you know what I'm accused of? I'm accused of all of my sin. That's what it is. Matt, you've fallen short. Matt, you've fallen short. Matt, you've fallen short. I know that. I promise you. You hang out with me for 12 minutes, I'm going to tell you 11 ways I've fallen short. And that blood that I'm met with isn't the one that says, you're you're right, Matt, you're right, and pacifies me. It's not the one that says, you know what, you are forgiven. That's right. Forgiveness is bigger than your sin. No, the blood that that I triumph through is the one that says, get ready to run because I've set you free. Those accusations are not just, hey, this used to be who you were. Those accusations are bondage. Those accusations that come night. And, day, some of these circumstances are bondage that God has come to set us free from. This should feel vastly different. You see, the Passover lamb is about freeing of God's people. It's about provision and protection as we go. The, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. This is like they triumphed. Because the blood of the lamb was enough to get them free. And then the word of their testimony. What is, what is this about? The word of your testimony is the, your belief that God has done enough on the cross and in your life. Yeah. That you can state it. This is, this is like the practice of noticing. One of the biggest things I think that we get together to do is to hear somebody else like hear Sean come up and say his, his examples and be like, "Oh, God's done that in my life too." I forgot." Or we hear a song that kicks up a memory and like, "Oh, that's right, I know that of God." It's to slow us down enough to notice God at work. And to be able to believe that, that is worth declaring. I'm, On Wednesday nights at our midweek, we're we're going through the book of Acts. And as we go through the book of Acts, repeatedly you see, whether it be Peter or Paul or uh, tons of different people, just telling of what God has done. Their testimony is really what the book of Acts is. It's a testimony of, here's what he did the day that I believed in him. But then it's also, here's the ways that he's opened up my mind and expanded my understanding since then. Here's the way he's changed my heart since that day. It's experience and moments that Scripture comes alive and and saying that and sharing that. That's what this is. Some of us wonder, how am I ever going to get free from all of this stuff? In the end, who am I going to be in the end? Revelation tells us, for those who believe that the blood of the Lamb is enough, who believe the word of their testimony is enough, they triumph. Now, here's where some conviction hit me. I feel like, really, is, is that it? We're like in this battle. We just talked about, this is how I fight my battle. The weapons I have are the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. Like, that's enough to win. Really? And as I sat and prayed on that and thought on that, I, I really felt convicted that, like, well, how, how, how small... Do I understand the blood of the lamb then? Yeah. Come on. If we don't think the blood of the lamb is enough, here's the trick. I don't think it's enough for little Matt. It was enough to get a nation to leave a nation. Yeah. It was enough to have firstborn stay alive and have them completely leave and have a different trajectory in history because of the blood of like normal lambs. And then Jesus came to be the lamb shed his blood, I think if it's enough to free a nation, it's probably enough to free me. The word of the testimony, if it is enough to upset the economics of every part of the Middle East, Asia, parts of Europe, and Africa over this Jesus being proclaimed in the book of Acts, you watch, and the economies of all these nations are toppled and changed because of a testimony, if it's enough to do that, it it can probably cut me free it could probably cut you free. Yeah. If this community at, here at 4th and Oak decided, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to just grab onto what he gives us and trust that it's enough, we probably would look radically, radically different yeah. if we said, you know what? If I doubt the blood of the lamb, then that's on me. That's not on the blood. Right. If I doubt my testimony, that's that's on me. That's That's not on the one who's... Set me free. But part of it is if we're only grabbing for the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, then we feel pretty vulnerable, right? I feel like there's got to be something else. We're told in this way that 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 is all that we need. The truth bends time and we know that we will overcome, we will triumph, even if death is required. But we'll triumph and see his kingdom. Leads me to a couple questions I want to ask us as we wrap this series up. And these are questions about ways that we've kind of grabbed for more things. Scripture is clear that all that we need is this blood of the Lamb that sets us free. In the word of our testimony, I want to ask you, what, what have we believed we needed? In your own life, what have you believed that you needed? The blood of the lamb and the word of a testimony and what? For me, a lot of times I've thought I needed more intelligence. If I was smarter, blood of the lamb, word of the testimony and, and make me a bit smarter. The answers is in the, of those next seven books I'm trying to read by next week. And if I can get through those, maybe that'll help or the approval of somebody. I've gotten tripped up over and over again about the idea of correct belief. I have to believe exactly correctly on every single issue or else, like there's no hope for me. And so sometimes I won't even speak up because I'm afraid that I'm I'm wrong or I'm going to use a word wrong or something like that oh well th- there's no hope here i got the blood of the lamb and i got my testimony but I-, I need to say everything accurately as well that's just it's just not in scripture the church today is all tripped up about the blood of the lamb the word of the testimony and where to put fences up right we got to put fences up to keep some people in and keep some people out and these people want to get out, but we got to keep them here. These people want to get in, we got to keep them out. All this kind of stuff and we're all hung up about if we have the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and the right people in and the right people out, then we triumph. Then we overcome. I don't read that. I'd never seen that be a choice of God's people. Yes. There's been moments in my life where I I want the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, and then I want some allies in power. If I've got some allies in power, then I feel a lot better. And if I don't, then I'm not so sure I can triumph or I can conquer. I don't read that in Scripture. For you, what else have you believed that you needed? In a few moments, we're going to receive communion together as you come up for communion, I want to invite you to let these things down. Set these things down. Whatever it is that you thought you needed, set that down on your way to the communion table. It's not just what do we believe we needed, but who else are we fighting? We're told really clear that this is about the accuser. The accuser who comes night and day, who's trying to disrupt... The, the world, the earth, and the sea, it says. And everything on it, woe to us, because he's coming at us hard. It is dizzying. I don't know if you've ever been hit really hard. I used to collect concussions like they were tattoos. And, and when you get a concussion, like, you're, you're dizzy. And you start to see like this. And I imagine, I, I didn't get any of them boxing. They were all really dumb stories, like snow tubing but if you're fighting somebody you probably lose lose sight of who you're fighting when you're dizzy like that unfortunately oftentimes we look a bit dizzy and double vision who is it that we're fighting this accuser is plenty but we end up fighting others we end up fighting ourselves not our, not our old selves, not our sinful nature. That's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes we just fight ourselves. We fight who God made us to be. And we say, well, God made me to be that. I feel him alive in me when I am this person. And yet, people don't like that person. People don't affirm that person. People don't know what to do with that person. I don't know how to live as that person. So we fight against ourselves. We have a horrible history of making heroes and villains out of everybody. We meet anyone, and we're we're certain that they either have to be, like, the best good guy or the worst bad guy ever. And we don't let anybody be human. And the worst person is the one that we think was the good guy. And then they did something. And this can be people in our lives. This can be people in our families. This can be people in the news. This, This is just what we do, and we need to stop. We make heroes and villains, and if they're a villain, we fight them, as if our job is to be the world superhero. Who is it that you're fighting? Can we let people be human? You know, one of the interesting things about telling your testimony, the word of your testimony is if somebody who was your villain ever got the mic and chose to be honest, by the end of them talking, they're human again. You ever notice that? Part of the reason that we need days like next week where everybody shares and gives their testimony is because we don't all know each other. And so there's just a natural tendency of like, "I, I don't know who's on my side, I don't know who likes me, and we're afraid of people and all this. And when somebody starts to tell of what God has done in their life, they become human. And allowing someone to be human is one of the greatest gifts of dignity you could give somebody. Recognizing their humanity, recognizing that they are made in the image of God and they are are in this thing just like you are. One of the greatest gifts you can give somebody. We need to be storytellers. We need to listen to one another as we talk. So it's not just who are you fighting. It's, it's not just uh, what have you believed that you're needing. But it's also this, this question of we will overcome, but for what would we settle? We're told it's the truth that as if past tense, that we will triumph, we will overcome we know this. For some, it might require our lives, which is terrifying. We're told that we will overcome, we're told that we will triumph. But what will we settle for? Would it be validation? That person or those people coming and saying, I see you and I validate your struggle. That can just encourage us to go or that can be a place where we just settle and say, that's enough, I'm good. Will it be vindication? Will it be the praise of somebody? Will God give you this offering of knowing that you have triumphed and you have overcome, but you'll say, no, I don't want that because what I want is someone else to acknowledge the wrong that they've done, and and I might miss this overcoming because I just can't let go of this. What is it that you would settle for? What is it that you would let go of God's invitation to you for? Because you'd rather, rather have that other. See, these questions show the things that have tied up our hands. They show the things that, our hands are filled with when scripture shows us real clear. It's a little bit like David going against Goliath. He didn't have much in his hands, right? He had a stone, a sling, and a whole lot of faith. We're told you got the blood of the Lamb. you got the word of your testimony. And there's other things that look like brighter, shinier armor, but that just blurs who you're fighting against and how you're fighting. This is what you've got, and it's enough. And will you trust in his triumph? Will you trust you can overcome? In Luke, I want to read this for you. And then we're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. We're going to have some people who would be happy to pray with you if you want to pray with them you need someone to stand next to you so you can have courage to let something go, if you've never let the, the blood of the Lamb be, become the beginning of your testimony, there's some people who would, who would love to pray with you. They're going to come up here to do just that. But I want to read to you where our hope is, is found. Luke 22:14 14 says, when the... The hour came. Jesus took his place at the table, and the apostles were with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover. Remember, Passover is the, the feast where the lamb was, blood was on the, on the door frame. I, I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this, divide it among yourself." For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. So, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same with the cup after supper. Saying this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. See, every year this Passover was symbolically celebrated and every year the day of atonement was needed and it was only through those things that people could believe that they were free and that they were forgiven and yet we were given Christ. And all those things that hold you back, all those things that keep you locked up, I'm acknowledging that they're real and they're painful. They're hard and the struggle is real but they have triumphed, those trust the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's enough to the glory of God, to the goodness of His people. I want to pray for us and then we invite you to His table. The crackers are gluten-free Jesus' body. We'll celebrate together.